go. Praise the Lord. There we go. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. How y'all doing this morning? Man, listen, the praise team messed me up with that third song. I'm just going to tell you. I understand why sometimes ministers don't come out doing praise and worship because they, they started singing that, and I was like, man, we can go and go to the house. You know, it's funny because I guess, and I don't, I don't know about anybody else's life, right? But if you have ever, if, when they start singing that song, if you start thinking back over your life, about the situations that you put your own self in. Now, forget what anybody else did to you. This, the, the, the dumb stuff that you did that should have put you in a situation that you shouldn't even have the life that you have right now. And, and, and you start thinking about, man, it wasn't nothing but God that did that. It wasn't nothing but God that delivered me. And then you look at how good your life is now, and you think that if it wasn't for God, how jacked up it could. It is hard not to get emotional when you start telling God how thankful you are for. And I think sometimes we just, I think sometimes we have to rehearse that, man, because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget that, that you didn't get here on your own. Did it, did it, wasn't your, it, it wasn't your college degree, it wasn't your connections, it wasn't your good job, it wasn't any of that stuff that got you to where you are right now. It wasn't nothing but God. It wasn't. In fact, if you think about it, we've been self-sabotaging ourselves for most of our life. We've been doing things to work against the thing that God would have us to do to be where we are today. And so when we start thanking God for his kindness, for his goodness, for his patience, for his faithfulness, it's hard not to say, you know what, God, I just praise you. I just honor you. I just thank you. I just, I just love on you. And when that happens, it's just, it's just so hard because, man, it's, it's like you got all these things you, 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 you want to do so you can minister uh, but at the same time, you know that, man, if, 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 if you can't pass up that moment. You just can't pass up that moment. And so this morning, I just, I want to, I want to thank God for, for being here. I really do. I want to thank God for all that he's done in my life. I have never been um, as excited about the word of God. And I've been excited, but I've never been as excited about the word of God as I am in this dispensation of time. Because literally every time I'm picking up my Bible, I'm reading scriptures that I knew. I mean, I just, I knew those scriptures, but I'm reading them and I'm seeing them in a whole new way. And it's amazing when you begin to, it's, it's almost like I had to ask myself, why have you been trying to do so much on your own? Why have you been trying to check every box? Why have you been trying to make sure you did this enough and that enough when it's just laid out so plainly everything God wants to do for you? Uh, and, and so I don't have, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking about this last night. This is the third message in this series, and I'm teaching from the series, and it's entitled Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith. Uh, and today's message is going to have a subtitle. It's Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith, but the subtitle is Understanding God's Redemption Plan. Because I am, I'm, I am convinced that if we understand God's redemption plan, there are certain things that we will no longer struggle with. Uh, I remember a year or so ago, we kind of had a motto uh, for the church, uh, and it was no more struggle, no more strain. And, and the reality of it is, is that when you get a revelation of God's redemption plan, there is no more struggle. There is no more strain. Because what God wants for you, he's already made it available. Somebody say already. already. He's already made it available. And so this morning, 
I want to just jump right into the lesson. Now, I'm going to encourage you, uh, if you haven't, that you take the time to listen to the message if you weren't here the last two weeks, or if you were here the, the week before but not last week, that you take the opportunity to listen. Here's the reason, not because I preached it, but because it is laying the foundation for where we're going. And if you don't at least listen to it and grab hold to it and begin to wrestle with those truths, later on down the line, there's going to be opportunity, and hear me when I say this, for you to be offended because of the word. And you don't want to find yourself being offended because of the word. You don't want to find out that we're saying something, but because you haven't studied it, you allow the enemy to whisper to you that what we're talking about is not true. So we're going on this journey together, and we're asking you to make sure that you are paying uh, attention and you are reading the word with us. Amen? Amen. So this morning I want to begin, uh, let's go to Romans. I want to begin in Romans. And I know we don't have a string here with us, so you'll have to do this old school style. You'll just have to uh, go along with us. It's just making a small effort. So we're going to go to Romans. Now I want to read something because I think it's going to set the stage for what we're going to talk about today. Say this, say, God has, God has a redemption plan. Amen. God has a redemption plan. When you begin to look at Romans, I want us to go to Romans, and I want us to go to the, um, the fourth chapter of Romans. Now, nah, let's go to Romans 3. Let's back up. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 19. Romans chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 19. And when we get to Romans chapter 3, verse 19, I want for you to tell me that you have it by saying amen. Yeah. Amen. amen. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 says this. It says, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Say, I am, I am not, under not under the law. The law. It says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before the Lord. That was the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to show every man, whether he was Jew or Gentile, that he was guilty before God. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh, say no flesh, no flesh, be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Or sin came into your life, the knowledge of right and wrong came because there was a law that said this is something you should or shouldn't do. Before that, they had no idea of right or wrong. Verse 21 says, but now the righteousness of God, say the righteousness of God, Without the law is manifest. Now notice he says, but now the righteousness of God, before they had to use the law to obtain righteousness. They had to go every year, they had to offer sacrifices of sin. They had to have bull offerings and dove offerings. They had all of these things that allowed them to be able to say that they were righteous. It says, but now there's a new righteousness. There's a righteousness that has come to you and I that comes outside of the law. It says, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, verse 22, it says, even the righteousness of God, which is how? By faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. When he says there is no difference, he means there is no difference between the Jew 
and the Gentile. He says all of them were guilty and all of them received righteousness the same way. You and I received our righteousness the same way people 2,000 years ago received their righteousness. It was by their faith. Say, I do not receive righteousness by my works. Say, it comes as a gift from God. Somebody give God some praise for that, amen? That means you didn't work for it, you didn't earn it, you weren't good enough, you didn't pray enough, you didn't fast enough, you didn't sow enough. God just loved you enough to give it to you. He then says in verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, if you notice this, a lot of people use this and they put a period where there's a semicolon. Because what they say is that all people have sinned and all people have come short of the glory of God, period. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that all have come short and all have sinned. It says, but being justified. See, so you can't stop reading the Bible. It says, here's how you were, but being justified. So, so, you, so you may have entered into a state at some point of being because you were after the similitude of Adam that sin came into your life. But when Christ took care of the sin of Adam, he took care of it for you too. So tell your neighbor, say, you... Being justified. That's why the Bible said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace. Say, I am justified by his grace. Now, we said this a couple of weeks ago, and that's why you got to listen to the tape because I can't go back. But we said the grace of God is also what? The power of God and that the power of God is his grace so whenever you see the grace of God it talks about his power so if you were to reread that notice what he says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his power through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus verse 25 says whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. It says, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, if I can, I want to read this out of the New Living Translation for you. Because in the New Living Translation, here's what he says. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 25 says, For everyone has sinned. Say, everyone. It says, therefore, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin. Say, I have been freed from the penalty of sin. Somebody ought to give God some praise for that. Now, now watch this. It says, the wages of sin is what? But you've been freed from death. So, 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 so we know that death comes in a multitude of ways, not just physical death. It can come in death of a marriage. It can come in death of a career. It can come in death of anything, your health, your sanity. He says, but you are not under the power of sin. You have been free from the death of sin. You are free. And the Bible said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Somebody shout, I'm free. Notice, this is what he's trying to get the Roman church to understand. In verse 25, he says, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God, I love this, 
when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. There is a period there. It says people are saved. Another word for the word saved we've been talking about the last several weeks is the word what? The word what? The word what? The word what? Right. So people are delivered when they believe. How do you get deliverance? It's not because you come to the altar and have 20 people pray for you and they lay you out and put a towel over you. That's not how deliverance comes. Deliverance can come in a moment. Because deliverance comes when you choose to believe. And when you and what are we believing? We're believing that what God what God did through Jesus by sending him to the cross atoned for every wrong thing ever in our life. Well, pastor, what do you mean? Does that mean that if I do something wrong, then I, then, then, then I don't have to ask for forgiveness? Forgiveness of what? All sin has been forgiven. See, that, right, see, that throws people. It throws people. Because what happens is, and, and here's the theology that most people have. Most people have a theology that, that says one or two things. It says this. And I taught this myself, and I taught it wrong, and I have to repent for it. What most people say is this, that if you sin... You don't fall out of relationship with God, but you fall out of fellowship with God. In fact, we used, to, we, we used to teach it like this. What happens is you get born again, and now you're in relationship and fellowship. But every time you sin, he's still your daddy, but a wall's been put there. But the Bible says that when he, came, when he was on the cross, the Bible says that the earth did rent, and he tore the veil from the top to the bottom so that sin couldn't separate us anymore. So, so, so we tell people that every time they sin, they got to ask God to forgive them. Listen, we're going to deal with John 1 and 9 at the end of the message, but when the Bible says confess your sins, it don't mean you confess your sins to God. What it says is you got to admit to yourself you got one so you can deal with it. It doesn't say anything. The Bible says, let's just go there right now. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. The Bible says in 1 John, if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, people will challenge me and they say, well, pastor, right there, the Bible says you got to confess your sins. That if you confess your sins, then God forgives you. No, 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 no. You have to go back and read what he was talking about. What he says to them is you need to confess your sins and your faults one to another. One to another, not to God, one to another. In other words, I say to Kenosha, Kenosha, I have a porn addiction. I need you to help me so that I don't keep dealing with porn so it don't mess up my marriage. God's already forgiven me, but I got to confess it to you so somebody can give me some help. I say to somebody, look, I eat too much. I need an accountability partner so that I can get rid of this diabetes so I don't have to get my foot cut off, so I don't have to die. I'm confessing my sin and my fault one to another. So that I can get some accountability. But the issue of sin has already been dealt with. It's already been dealt with. But what sin does and what the devil does is he uses sin to put you in condemnation. Because if I feel bad about my porn addiction and I feel like I can't get a prayer through because of my porn addiction, then I don't add, I ain't got no porn addiction. I'm just using that as an example. Some of y'all are like, God, Pastor. But whatever my addiction may be, <laughs> whatever that addiction is, the devil says, you can't ask God for that. You can't ask God to heal your child. You can't ask God to give you another job. 
How you gonna ask God to bless you and you know you was just clicking on that link? How you gonna ask God to do this and you was just eating that when you said you wasn't gonna eat it? How you gonna, and what happens is we bite into the devil's lie that sin has dominion over us. But the Bible says that one man died. And it says that one man died one time. So that, so that sin would die and that life would reign forever. So once Christ did what he did on the cross, sin hasn't been an issue for God for 2,000 years. So why do churches spend so much time talking about sin? Why? Because we don't understand God's redemption plan. But if you understood God's redemption plan, you would understand that we are supposed to be more righteous conscious than we are sin conscious. But whatever you magnify is what, whatever you focus on is going to get magnified in your life. So if you go to church for 52 Sundays out of the year and all they ever talk about is sin, all you're going to be is sin conscious. So you're focused on your sin when God wants you to focus on his righteousness. But you can't focus on his righteousness because your mind is rattled with sin. But if you can focus on God's righteousness, his redemption plan, and what he did to you, you can become a mirror image of who Christ is. That's why he says in 1 John, he says, for as Christ is in this world, so are we. In fact, say, say, say as Christ is, as Christ so, is. Am I, so am I right now. Right now. Amen. Right now. right now. Right now. As Christ is, so am I right now. So, so literally, literally, not figuratively, literally, when God looks at you, he sees the same representation he sees in Jesus. Now, that's tough for people to get. It's tough for people to get because you know why? You're sin conscious. And when, and when, I, said, when I said that, when I said that Christ sees you the same way he, when I said that God sees you the same way he sees Christ, the first thing you thought about is all your wrongs. The first thing you said is, well, how can he, though? I ain't like Christ. How can you not be like Christ if you've been born into his likeness? If you've been born into his likeness, you literally have the DNA of Christ in you. And so if you have the DNA of Christ in you, then you are like Christ. The problem is, is that you focus on your sin. When he said to you, I've taken you out of your sin state and I've placed you here with me so you and I are one. Isn't that what he said in John? He said, let this, vine, let this vine be in you. He said, if you be connected to the vine and the vine connected in you, that basically you and the Father are, say, I am, I am one, one with the Father. Now, understand, when we talk about this balance of grace and faith, it's an important foundational truth. And whether you are consciously aware of it or not, you deal with the truth of what you believe about sin and what you believe about grace and what you believe about faith each and every day. Whatever you believe about those things is the manifestation of your life. We tell people this all the time. Your life is the sum total of your most dominant thoughts. Whatever you think about the most, that's what you're going to be. That's why when you think selfish, you act selfish. When you think generous, you act generous. When you think angry, you have responses that are angry. When you're thinking joy, you have a joyful response. The Bible says it can't be otherwise. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Most believers struggle with the topic of sin. In fact, when you begin to talk to believers about sin, they struggle with it because they already understand it's bad. 
What they don't understand is that they don't have to struggle with it because God already dealt with it. So we're literally spending our time dealing with something that Christ has already taken care of. It's the equivalent. This week we had something happen to our front door, and, and it was loose, and you had to have these special tools uh, in order to fix it. So I called the locksmith, and he came out to fix it. But how crazy would it be if I kept calling him every day to ask him to come back and fix something he'd already fixed? In fact, he would be confused. He would come over to look at the lock and go, well, there's nothing wrong with it. I fixed it yesterday. And if I said, oh, okay, thank you. And then he went away, and then I called him back on the next day and said, hey, can you come fix my lock? And he came back again. He said, well, why do you keep calling me? I already took care of this. At some time, he's going to feel like I'm wasting his time. At some time, you ought to feel like you're wasting God's time asking for forgiveness of all these sins that he already took care of. You ought to be spending your time focused on the righteousness part. Amen, somebody. Amen. See, it's, it's one of those things where people want, what people want to do is they want to shut you up by saying, well, well, you're just telling people they can do whatever they want to do. We dealt with this two weeks ago. Romans 6 and 1 says, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And his response was, man, no. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, man, no. Or he said, God forbid. That's man, no, for this time. He said, man, no. Don't keep staying in sin once Christ has got you out. It would be the equivalent of somebody helping you out of quicksand, and you keep jumping back into quicksand. You know quicksand bad. Stay out to quicksand. You know sin bad. Stop doing that stuff. Christ has already set you free. He's already thrown you one of them vines that they always seem to have around the quicksand. He's already pulled you out of the quicksand. He's been, you've been translated, the Bible says you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Okay? You've been translated. Say, I have, I have been, translated. been translated. Listen, while most of us genuinely strive to live our lives free from sin, there are so many messages out there being preached that we need to refuse to believe them because they are absolutely sin-based. They are absolutely sin-based. I saw somebody post something, somebody who I actually respect pretty well. He posted this one on Facebook that today was the Sunday of Pentecost, and you need to deal with all of your sins before you get to the house of God so that the Holy Spirit can reign on you. That is a wrong message. That is a wrong message because it does two things. It either scares people into going, oh, my God, I'm not right, or number two, people go, well, my sin ain't right, so I'm going to stay home. Both of those are wrong. You don't need to get yourself together. If you have believed in Christ, you are together. Now, understand when I say you are together, yes, I am talking about man as a triune being. We've talked about this before. Man is a triune being. Man is a spirit. Man possesses a, 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 a body, but man also has a soul. It's his mind, his will, his emotions, his imagination, his intellect. God has saved your spirit, man. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, my spirit man is redeemed and reformed. Say, it is as perfect as it's ever going to be. That's it. Your spirit man is 100. Not 100, 100. Your spirit man is 100, okay? It is perfect. It is fine. There's nothing wrong with your spirit man. In fact, your spirit man can meet God right now and wouldn't have a change. But you live on earth. You got this body, and this body we know is made out of dirt, and the older we get, the more it decays. But the Bible says that God wasn't through with us, that there's even going to become a time where we're going to get a brand new body. 
And then that brand new body is going to line up with the brand new spirit that we got. And we're going to live in eternity forever. Well, Pastor, that's just two parts. What's about the third part? The third part requires you to do some work. Because the third part is the way you. And God has given you free will. And as a free will being, you can choose to act on accordance with God's word. Or you can choose not to. Doesn't have anything to do with your spirit man, though. If your spirit man believes, God checked me this week. He really did. And this may not be some of y'all issue, but I told y'all, I grew up, and the way I grew up, you know, it, it was, it, I didn't realize it, but it was a lot of works involved. And so I used to see people do these crusades, and they would do these crusades that goes, if you want to believe on the Lord Jesus, just come down here right now. And you have all these thousands of people come down, and they'll go, all right, we praise God that you've all believed on Jesus. Praise the Lord. Go this way. We're going to get your name. And they would go. And in my, in, in my old works righteous, I'd be like, them folk ain't really saved. Now, why wouldn't they really say? Well, they, would, they, didn't get, they, they didn't fall out. They didn't get baptized in the Holy Ghost. They ain't speaking tongues. They didn't do any of those things you're supposed to do to be saved. But the, the, the fact of the matter is God said that's the reason that it's going to be so many people in heaven that people aren't even going to realize it. He said because all it takes is just to believe. All it takes is just to believe. See, it's, he said really, he said, and I, and I know I did something wrong when he called me strict. He said, see, strict, here's the problem. See, if you ain't got a nickname God called you by, you ain't really close to him then. I'm just joking. But he said, to me sometimes, he said, strict, here's your problem. He said, your problem is, is that you did the same thing Peter did. He said, when the gospel came to Peter, Peter and Paul went and preached the gospel to Jew and Gentile. But some of the Jews came, and they said, now, wait a minute, Peter. You ought to eat with them Gentiles. If you're going to be eating with them, at least you ought to be circumcised. At least you ought to make them do X, Y, and Z. And Peter didn't have the boldness at that time to be like, no, this is what the Lord said. So what he did is he started putting other issues on the Gentiles. Well, you can be saved, but you got to get circumcised. You can be saved, but you can't eat that. You can be saved, but you got to do this and this. And we have taken the Peter spirit and done the same thing to people. Maybe we don't tell them they got to be circumcised. Maybe we don't tell them they got to eat a certain thing, but we do tell them they got to live a certain way. We do tell them they got to do this, they got to do that, they got to do that. All of that to receive salvation. Now, should you live holy? Absolutely. Should you refrain from, from, from vile language, from, from lust of the flesh? Absolutely. But those aren't qualifications for being saved oh. oh see that 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 that's the thing that, that that's the thing that folks want to walk out because the reality of it is if we can put standards on people then what we can do is say well you're not worthy but i am but the truth of the matter is everybody is unworthy all have sinned all have fallen short but being justified but being justified and you weren't justified by your works. The Bible says if you was justified by your work, it says then you could boast in it. You could brag about how you didn't sleep around. You could brag about how you gave. You could brag about how you fasted. You could brag about how you went to Sunday school and, and vacation Bible school and you didn't miss church and you didn't cuss and you didn't sneak out and you didn't smoke dope and you didn't drink and you didn't do all of these things. But even the person beside you who did all of them and enjoyed it can still receive salvation can still receive salvation because salvation is not about your works. It's all about how you believe. The message most people hear says that sin breaks your relationship or at least your fellowship with God. 
We use the word backslide. Can I tell you that's the, that's, 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 the, that's, you don't, that is a man-made word. That is a man-made word. I didn't say it was in the Bible. I said it's a man-made word. You cannot backslide from salvation. You can change your thinking, but once Christ saves you, it's a finished work. You don't backslide from salvation. You may backslide from doing the things you ought to do, but that's not losing your salvation. Backsliding for many Christians is this idea that I serve the Lord, but now if I did five sins before I got back to church on Sunday, I'm in this situation where the Lord can't talk to me no more. People say, well, you know, the Lord doesn't answer the prayer of a sinner. Really? Really? Because you do understand when you first said, Lord, I want you into my life, you were a sinner. So if the Lord, so, so what kind of God would he be that he'd answer the prayer of a sinner at first, but now he ain't going to answer your prayer no more? What kind of schizophrenic God are you serving? Because the truth of the matter is, he says, I am the Lord God and I change so if he hears the prayer of a sinner before I was saved, how much more is he going to hear my prayer now? We do that because we want to control people. The church wants to control people and tell people that in order for God to do something for you, you have to do this. The only thing you have to do as a believer is to believe. That's it. All you have to do is believe. So, Pastor, you mean to tell me that I can just wild out and do whatever I want to do and I'm still saved? Yeah. But here's what's going to happen. Your conscience is going to sear you. Your conscience, if you begin to practice sin, it is like opening the door to your life and saying, Satan, I give you access. And you are not more powerful than the devil on your own. And so what happens is you're going to allow him to begin to whisper to you, to talk to you. The Bible says he's an accuser of the brethren. So every time he has an opportunity to accuse you, that's what he's going to do. And the truth of the matter is, we say this all the time, your environment is what? Always working on you. So if you got the devil with you 24 hours a day talking to you, can you no wonder you depressed. No wonder you sad. No wonder you sick. N not because you're not going to spend eternity in heaven, but you're allowing yourself to live hell on earth. You have to be able to distinguish the two things. You have to be able to say, here's what Christ did. It's a finished work. And then he says, be not ignorant of Satan's devices. What is Satan's device? To gain access to your thinking to gain access to your mind. Because if he can gain access to your mind, he can control everything about you that's not already redeemed. So what good is it to come into the revelation knowledge of Jesus Christ, to have your life redeemed from destruction, but to spend 60 years on earth living in hell? God says, I didn't just come to redeem you for eternity. He says, I came so that you might have days of on earth. That's, what, that's the purpose of the instruction. 
The purpose of the instruction is so that you get to have reciprocity right now for what's already happening in heaven. That's why it says there is no sickness in heaven. There is no sickness on earth. A few, a few, last year sometime, Elder Valley preached the message. And if you remember, if you were here, if you heard the message, he talked about we are saved, we are being saved, and we are going to be saved. We are saved spirit. We are being saved our soul. How do we get saved in our soul? We, the Bible says by the washing and the regeneration of the word of God. So every time you hear word, every time you're spending time with God, your soul is being saved. How are we going to be saved? The Bible says he's going to come back and meet us in the air. And you and I are going to get new bodies, and these old bodies is going to die and go back to dust. We're going to have a new one. So we are saved. We are being saved. We are going to be saved. But you have to have a foundational understanding of which dimension you're working with. So many people are over here trying to work with the spirit man. You think your spirit man is messed up. He's not. Can I, can, can I tell you something? You are one third delivered. You are one third completely delivered. Your spirit, man, is perfect. And if you spend less time trying to perfect a perfection, spend less time trying to work on something that's already perfect, and spend some time over here, this soul realm, getting your mind renewed. When, 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 when I'm talking about getting your mind renewed, I'm not talking about learning more words. I'm not talking about learning more scripture. I'm talking about getting yourself to think the way that guy thinks. If you can get this image of you to think the way that guy does, it'll have a profound effect on this guy and this guy. How do I know? Because this guy over here wants to do what pleases the Lord. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, it says it is our flesh that is enemy with God. It is our flesh that fights against God. And so if my flesh fights against God, my flesh wants what it wants when it wants it. My flesh is, is, is lewd. My, my, my flesh wants, wants things that makes it feel good. But if, my, if, but if the thing my flesh wants is not right with God, this man over here says that's not what we do. Well, if this man is so lined up with this man, this man and this man say, yo, we don't do that. Come on. Can, can I get to, I got to come, here, come here real quick. Let me show, let me show, let me show. You're going to be spirit. Come on, you be body. No, yeah, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't matter. <laughs> I'm going to be old wretched soul. Here's what happened. Literally, here's what happened. Spirit man over here is perfect. Spirit man <laughs> is. Spirit man, and this is going to blow some of y'all away. My spirit man is Jesus. I didn't make that up. The Bible says, as Jesus is, so are we in this world, right? This is Jesus. This is body. Body just chill. Body like you want to be wretched, let's be wretched. Body like you want to be holy, let's be holy. Body like you want to eat, let's eat. Body like you want to work out, work out. Body is just dictated to. So the fight here is not over here. It's with this guy. Who is this guy going to be more aligned to? 
Because if this guy is more aligned to this guy, this guy going to pull this guy over here with him. But if not, if soul is over here and soul is so uh, ratchet, he'll ignore this guy and be like, let's get it, buddy. That's what Paul meant when he said, when I would to do good. He said, I would. I want to I wanna do right. But evil's all around me. And what evil offers me looks so good. What evil offers me is so pleasurable. What evil offers me is so tempting that if I have not reconditioned this man to think like this man, I'm going to go with this man every time. That's why folks have that's why folks fornicate and commit adultery and at the same time be like, God, I shouldn't be doing this. Oh Lord, I shouldn't be doing this. Why? Because the truth of the matter is, it's what's calling us. Paul said it like this: when I would to do good, evil is all around me. He said, and that which I would not to do, that is what I find myself doing. It, it's not about you being a bad person. It's about you not having a foundational understanding of God's redemption plan. God's redemption plan was so that we didn't have this struggle. He says, I'm going to do this part. I want you to get in my word and do this part. And when these two parts links up, that body will do whatever we tell it to do. Whatever we tell it to do. Every single time. That body doesn't have a choice. We tell that body, you're going to eat right, that body eat right. We tell that body, you're going to keep yourself to yourself till you get somebody for yourself. That's what that body going to do. Yes. Every single time. Thank y'all. Every single time. But it's got to be this understanding. It can't, it can't be this thing that says, oh, I'm just always finding myself sinning. If you always find yourself sinning, it's because you're not spending time aligning this part of you with this part of you. But the issue of sin has been dealt with. It has been over with over 2,000 years ago. It's already been dealt with. Now, here's the thing. We talk about people backsliding. And in some strict cases, these are some other things that people believe. There's a guy who, who actually, there's a whole group of people who actually believes in this thing called predestination. In other words, what they say is God is sovereign, okay? And because God is sovereign, God has already decided what's going to happen to everybody in the universe, okay? And that's what people who adhere strictly to grace believe. They believe that Whatever God has already said was going to happen is what's going to happen. And they believe that if you get saved, it was because God predestined for you to be saved. And if you didn't get saved, then God didn't predestine for you to get saved. I cannot ascribe to that because I love all of my kids and I wouldn't choose to send any one of them to hell. I wouldn't make a predetermined plan that says the four of you are going to go, but you've got to go to hell. No good father would do that. But they believe that basically you can do whatever you want to do because if God's going to save you, you're going to be saved. I do not ascribe to that. I need you to hear me and hear me when I say I don't believe that. There's another group of people who ascribe to this thing called faith. I'm a faith subscriber, but not a total faith subscriber. They believe that whatever you in your own power do, you can get God to move. God is not a genie. He cannot be manipulated. You can't rub your faith together and get him to pop out of a bottle and give you whatever you need. So he said last week that the truth is where? Somewhere in the middle. That we got to have grace because that's God's part, but we need faith because faith is our part. But you cannot have one without the other. 
And so therefore, when we begin to talk about this thing of God's redemption plan, it shows a best, it shows a great picture of that. God sent his only son to die on a cross. We know that. John 3, 16. What does it say? For God that he that shall but shall we know that they hold it up at football games but why don't we believe it they literally at a football game have John 3:16 held up on a sign but notice what it says it says he died he sent his son to die for who the whole world so it cannot be this idea that some of us are going to be saved and others aren't because God predestined it what happens is, is we don't understand the tripart of man, and so what we say then is that we've got to do something in order to receive God's salvation other than believing. Other people believe in eternal salvation, uh, and they believe that it's secure, but that you lose your fellowship. We've talked about that. We don't lose fellowship. Say, I do not, I do not lose, fellowship lose fellowship with God. With God. Now, let me tell you where they got that from. They got that from uh, Genesis. You remember in Genesis after Adam and Eve had sinned? What did they do? The Bible says they did what? They hid themselves where? In the garden. So people say, well, see, when you sin, you have to hide yourself from God. You got to get away from God because if you show up with God and you got sin in your life, you will die. You do understand. Take your neighbor and say, that was pre-Christ. That was pre-Christ. That was before he, there was an atoning of sin. And so they hid from God, and they only hid from God because they actually saw themselves in a different light, and it wasn't as they had saw themselves before. And so the truth of the matter is, the people, people have taken a scripture from Genesis and applied it to a new era dispensation. And you can't do that. I tell people all the time, you, that, that's, like, that's like taking something from the Old Testament prior to Jesus, and then trying to apply it to something that happened after Christ came. You can't do that. That's not how that works. That's not how any of this works. You cannot do that. If you do that, then you misappropriate the scripture. And if you misappropriate the scripture, you can make it say anything. I can tell you why the Bible says women shouldn't make coffee. Someone says, what do you mean? The Bible says women should not make coffee. How do I know? Because it says Hebrews, not Shebrews. So you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. That doesn't mean it's right. That doesn't mean it's right. So you got to read it, and you need to read it in its historical context, and you need to make sure you're reading it so that you understand the full story. Don't just read two scriptures out of a whole chapter and make it try to apply to something, amen? So let's look at this for a minute. One of the biggest misconceptions about sin is the need to keep every single sin confessed. Unfortunately, that is simply not possible. It is impossible for you to keep every single sin confessed. The Bible tells us that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. In other words, every time you don't do something that you know to do is sin. So if you know to pray every day but you don't pray, you just sin. If you know to be nice and you're not nice, that's sin. It is impossible for you to keep every sin confessed. You would live in a perpetual state of damnation if you had to keep your own salvation. And, and, and you wouldn't have time to rejoice if you was always keeping yourself clean. 
That is literally what the priests had to do. They had to keep going before God to keep the people clean. Say, I am cleaned once and for all. That's right. The Bible tells us that, not, that everything that we do that we know we shouldn't do is sin. And by this definition, we all sin through the weakness of our flesh. It's impossible to keep every sin confessed. That is why God sent Jesus to die for us. Because literally, here's what some people say. Some people say that if you went to bed last night and you didn't confess all of your sins, let's say you confessed 100 of them, but you had 103 of them, and you didn't confess that third, those last three, that literally you die and go to hell. There are people who really believe that. You may not, but there are people who love God who legitimately believe that. Because they feel like you got to confess every sin. But if you have to confess every sin, you are already damned. You, you commit them so fast you can't keep up. So the truth of the matter is, if, if it wasn't for, that's why we say all the time, if it wasn't for God, we all be, we all going to fail. Even if it were possible, even if it were possible for you to keep track of every sin and confess every sin, guess who it puts the burden of salvation on? You. The burden of salvation is now on you. So now you make what Christ did of no effect. And so the truth of the matter is we have to understand this redemption plan because if we don't understand this redemption plan, we're going to live our lives trying to do something that God has already done. Amen? Amen. James chapter 4 verse 17 reveals that sin isn't only doing things that are wrong, but it's also not doing what is right. The reality of it is, is that most people, including Christians, see the forgiveness of sin as something that God can do. They see it as something God continues to do but not as something that he has already done. And that is where the fallacy falls. Sin is not something that God is forgiving every day. Selah. God is not forgiving sin every day. Can I ask you a question? How did Christ, how did we get, for, let me ask it the right way. How did Christ do away with sin? He died on the cross. That, that, that is Bible school 101. So I'm going to ask it again so we're going to all act like we're in the AP class. How did Christ get rid of sin? How many times did he die on the cross? So if he is continuously forgiving sin, we are continuously putting him back on the cross. But we all say this, where is Christ seated? At the other. We don't say he's seated at the, at the end of the cross trying to wait till we mess up. Now, people don't like that because it messes with their theology. But the truth of the matter is, Christ died one time. And the Bible says he died one time. And in that one time, he did away with sins past, present, and future. And if you don't understand that, the devil will keep telling you why you are not worthy of Christ's grace. Now, when I say his grace, I don't just mean grace like going to heaven. He'll tell you why you're not, he'll tell you that you shouldn't even be asking God to heal you after all the stuff you did. Let me tell you something. Let's say you ate bad for 40 years. For 40 years, you ate just horrible. And now you have diabetes. You still got the right to heal it. 
You speak, you, 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 don't, you, don't have, you don't have to say, well, because I did this for 40 years, I deserve what I get. Healing was made available for you 2,000 years ago. And the moment you recognize it's available to you, you can reach up and grab it. You can reach up and grab it. And so it doesn't matter what state you're in right now. Once you hear word, the Bible says the moment you can see, hear, and understand that you ought to be changed or converted into the word that you just heard. So you may be thinking, well, you know, I, I, I did this and I did that. And, you know, I got, and, and I actually have talked to somebody before and they said, well, you know, I was, I was promiscuous when I was younger and now I got this thing or I got this thing and now I just have to manage it or I just have to do this and do that. No, you don't. God can't heal you because he already has. Because he already has. That's the reason you can't get in a situation. And I tell you how it transfers. You'll find a man or a woman who's been married one time, and it didn't go good, and they'll tell themselves, well, I just ain't getting married no more. It's just old for me. And I, I just think it's just, this doesn't work. You'll find somebody else who's been married one time, two times, three times, four times, and that fifth time, they find the person they spend the rest of their life with. You know the difference in that? The difference in that is one person said, I messed up this time, or they messed up, or I picked wrong, or I didn't do it, so I'm done. The other person said, I'm gonna keep trying this till I get it right. It's a difference in mentality. Listen, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not going to quit serving God because I mess up. When I find myself doing something I shouldn't do, and I get the unction to know I shouldn't be doing that, God still loves me. God still going to use me. God still going to work through me. That's the reason that people, people do that to preachers all the time. No, 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 watch this. So a man or a woman ministers to you for years. For years, they're praying with you, they're, they're, they're baptizing you, they're laying hands on your little, your little bald head babies when they're born. They, 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 they doing all kinds of stuff for you. They're doing all kinds of stuff for you. All kinds of stuff. They're coming to visit you, they're eating your food when it don't taste good. They're doing all kinds of stuff for you. All kinds of stuff for you. They come to the hospital for you. They at your graduation. They, they, I mean, they, they at your kid kindergarten graduation. They, they with bald head babies. They do all of these things for you, and then they stumble. And because they were with you when you were going through. They was with you when you didn't have nobody to pray for you. They was with you when you was, when you was taking all of your junk and pouring it all on them. They didn't judge you. They didn't tell nobody your business. But the moment they stumbled, now you got a word to go to another church. Oh. Now you can't send it to them because they ain't the men of God you thought they were. Now you can't receive because they've had a situation in their life. The truth of the matter is, ain't no different in the pastor and you. The same, th the same requirements, the same shortfalls exist between both individuals. Pastor John was saying this morning about not being bitter. I got over being bitter when people left my church years ago. Years ago. Because here's what the Lord said to me. He said, why would you spend time thinking about the people who left when you could be thinking about the people who are there? Yeah. Amen. 
So if everybody left but five, I'm going to focus on the five. That's how you got to get. You got to get like this. Why would I spend time focused on this little shortcoming when I should be focused on all God has done? I'm going to fix the shortcoming, but it's not going to become my life. It's not going to consume me. I'm not going to think about it every day. I'm not going to be paralyzed because I keep thinking about the fact that I messed up 10 years ago. I'm not going to be paralyzed. I'm going to think about all the goodness that God has done. I'm going to think about that song. I'm going to think about his kindness. I'm going to think about his goodness. I'm going to think about his faith. I'm going to think about everything that God has done for me. The New Testament, when you read it correctly, presents forgiveness of sins as something that has already been done. Understand, God can do and continues to do, and he has always done this thing where sin is not an issue for him. Hebrews 10, 1 and 2 lets us know that. If you ask yourself this question, what produced forgiveness of sins and when did it happen? Well, we know it happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. John 1.29 says, it is he that has died and taken away the sins of the world. He, he, he took them away. He, not he's taking them. He, he, he took them. Go John what? Okay, go, go John. One, go John, what I say, 1.29? Go John 1.29. My wife said go John 29, so we're going to John 1.29. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, it is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why is this important? Because my wife and I were actually talking about this this week. When you begin to study this, you, what you find out is that John the Baptist is preaching, right? And John the Baptist is preaching, and what he says is he is coming and he's preaching baptism for the remission of sins. Don't miss that. He says, I'm preaching baptism. For the remission of sins. How are you going to have your sins forgiven? You had to be what? Baptized. He said, but there's one coming. Whose shoes I am not worthy to even tie. And when he comes, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. In other words, he says, right now, I'm just saying come and do this act. As a symbol. Because, because he hadn't came yet. So, so right now, today, what we're going to do is dunk you in this water. It's going to act like you the righteousness of God. He said, but there's one coming. It says, and when he comes, he's not going to have to baptize you in water. He's going to baptize you in his spirit. He's going to justify you once and for all. He said, in fact, this man is so powerful, I am not even worthy to tie his shoes. And then that's where he says in John 1, 29, he says, look, here he come. Here come the man I've been preaching to y'all about. Y'all thought I was crazy, but there he is right there. There he is. He is coming to take away not just your sins and your sins and your sins and your, but the sins of the whole world. It's so funny. I've read that so many times and never saw it like that. I've read it so many times and never saw it like that. He was literally saying, yo, I'm doing this thing right now because it's the only way I can give you an act or a symbol of what's about to happen. But you still got folk who believe that if you don't get baptized in water, you ain't saved. You still got folk who do not believe that if you don't physically go down in water, you aren't saved. But if water can save you, why we sing about the blood? 
If water can save you, why we think about the blood? You got to make sure that you don't get caught up into this wrong thinking, amen? Listen. It is through the shedding of Jesus' blood that you receive redemption, which is the forgiveness of your sins. Ephesians 1 and 7 says he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Colossians 1.14 says, who purchased our freedom and forgave us of our sin. He purchased your freedom. He purchased your freedom. You ever been to Walmart and you bought a big ticket item? And when you bought a big ticket item, you was walking out and that little thing went beep, 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 beep. You ain't get scared. You're like, I got it. You're like, I got a receipt. I got a receipt. In fact, you don't even mind when they come over. You're like, come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> when you walking, you walking past it thinking it beat. Not only do you not get scared, you turn around. And if don't nobody come, you like, shoot. Why? Because you got a receipt. The Bible says that God purchased you. Heaven has a receipt. Heaven has a receipt with your name on it. So when, 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 when we say we're free, we're not faking. Heaven has a receipt. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor. Say heaven has a receipt with my name on it. Oh, you want to give God some praise. Glory to God. Hey, glory. It's a finished work. It is done. The Bible says in Romans 6, 9, and 10, it says, We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die again. We are sure of our salvation because Christ has been risen from the dead, and he will never die again. If he can't die again, I can't be held according to my sin again. I am redeemed. I am free. I keep having to say it, I keep having to say it, I keep having to say it. Does that mean we're just supposed to wild out and live any kind of way? No, 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 no. No, man. No, man. We don't just live any kind of way. That, that, that's, that's, we, we, nobody gets free to go back to live in bondage. That is the equivalent of having a slave mentality. That someone sets you free and you rather live in bondage. We see, we, see this, we see this thinking with the children of Israel. The Bible says that they were in Egypt and Pharaoh was working them like a dog. It says, and the Lord said, I'm going to deliver you. The Bible says that they went and they asked all the people in the city for all of their gold and jewelry. And the folk had had so many plagues, they said, look, take whatever you want and go. We don't care what you want, just get out of here. The Bible says that they marched out with gold and silver and every precious ointment into a desert. I used to always say, God, why'd they take all that stuff if you was just going to lead them to a desert? He said, because he was always there. Now watch this. 
He says, it doesn't matter what your current state is. When you realize what belongs to you, it's yours. It don't even matter where you're going. If it's yours, it belongs to you. But the Bible says that they got out there, and when they should have been just a couple days journey, they end up spending 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness. What should have taken them three and a half days took them 40 years. They went around in circles for 40 years. At any time, they could have acknowledged who God was and went on out that wilderness. But watch this. Because when they were there, they started having conversations like we have sometimes. You say, Lord, I need you to deliver me. This job is horrible. I can't stand it. It's bad for my health. It's affecting my family. They lay you off. And you go, Lord, I want my job back. Wait a minute. You say, Lord, I, I just, if you get me free from this crazy dude, I'd never date another one like that guy. He delivers you. You go, oh, but he was so sweet when he sent me late night texts. Why? Because if you don't keep your mind on why you didn't like it in the first place, you will go back to it. Don't nobody like sin. That's the reason when you was kicking in the club in your younger days, or still right now, some of y'all, when you was kicking in the club and doing your thing, and then the Lord said, I want you to come out the club, you was like, yeah, I can't stand this club no more. And then you go out the club, you're like, ooh, I'm glad to be at the club. And then your friends go to the club, you're like, oh, I miss the club. <laughs> Why? Why do we do that? Because we long for what God has delivered us from because we don't change our So if the Lord delivers you from sin, if you don't get the right mindset, you will find yourself back in here. The Bible describes it like this. It says you're like a dog who returns to his vomit. The very thing that made you ill the very thing that caused you to regurgitate it. He said it will be the very thing that you will lean over and bend down and lick up once again. He said that is the, that's what sin looks like. He said that's why you can't be in bondage to it. Somebody shout, I'm free. I don't know about you, but I'm free, praise God. Listen, Jesus' sacrifice for our sin is already an accomplished work. We don't have to ask Jesus every day to forgive us of our sins. He's already done it. We saw in the word last week that Paul didn't tell the Philippian jailer to ask God to forgive him. Remember we read that story last week when the jailer said he's going to kill himself and Paul said, stay your hand. He said, don't kill yourself. He said, we're all still here. He said, what must I do to be? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus. He didn't say drop to your knees. Confess all your wrongs. You know, you got all these people in prison, they ain't do nothing wrong, and you just holding them here. Repent. He didn't say that. He said, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus. And that's how deliverance comes. How am I going to get healed? Believe. How's my financial situation going to turn around? Believe. How's he going to pay off this debt I got that's just looming over me? Believe. How's he going to bring me the person who I want to spend the rest of my life with? Believe. Listen, I know. I spent five years with Pastor Cynthia Brazelton telling me to just believe God. Do you know what that does to a type A person? 
a type A concrete sequential person, and you're I need some steps. Don't tell me just believe. I need some steps. I need three keys and seven steps and four reminders. I need something I can grab hold to. And she said, but if that's what you need, you're believing in the steps and not in God. Because what if God don't give you a step? What if God don't give you a plan? He's not obligated to give you a plan. He's not obligated to tell you how it's going to work out. He's not obligated to tell you every step of the way. Your job is just to believe. Your job is just to believe. And if you don't learn to believe, then you're going to always find yourself involved in works. And the Bible says you cannot be involved in works and in faith because that's considered double-minded. It says in a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. It says, let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Anything of the Lord. Why? He says it's not because God didn't want to do it. It's because you don't know what you want. You don't know what you want. Do you want to marry or do you not want to marry? That's why you don't ever make a decision. Do you want a job? Do you not want a job? That's why you don't ever apply for it. Do you believe you can be healed or do you not believe you can be healed? That's why you just stay in a perpetual state you don't know. You get, tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor with, God, with God, you have to decide, have to decide what, you believe. what you believe. You have to decide. And here's how God's so good. He'll let you pick. He'll let you pick. You can pick healing or you can pick sickness. He'll, he loves you so much, he'll let you pick. And watch this. You can pick sickness for 15 years. And on the 15th year and the first day decides you want healing, he'll still give it to you. That's why James said, he said, let any man who lacks wisdom ask of God and God will give it to him liberally and unabraided. He says, just ask God. Ask God for what you want, but know what you want when you ask. That's all he said. Ask God for what you want, but know what you want when you ask. That's why I say when you pray, believe you receive when you pray. Don't pray and ask the Lord to give you something, and then you come to you, oh, Lord, I can't believe it. Well, why'd you get it then? No wonder it took so long to get it. No wonder it took... That's the reason I said a couple weeks ago that when you're praying and you're asking and you believe in God to do something for you, once you pray and you ask God to do it, you don't go back to God asking God to do it over and over and over and over again. People think that's faith. That's not faith. That's doubting. What faith says is, God, I thank you that it's already done. I thank you. I believe I receive everything I prayed for. I thank you, Lord, that the moment I prayed, it was already settled in heaven, and my confidence is in you, and I am sure that it's done. And then you give God some praise and go on about your day. Faith is not begging. Faith is not begging. Listen, if God was moved by begging or if God was moved by need, there would be no needs. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, say your need. Doesn't move, God. doesn't move God. Say, but, but your, faith your faith in his grace, in his grace will, produce will produce manifestation. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Every time. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. It will produce. Understand something here. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about the Holy Spirit reproving us. And I have to deal with this because if we don't deal with this, I think we misappropriate the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Just as it's uh, 
just as it's our failures uh, to accept what, if, if it's our failure to not accept what Jesus has done. Well, understand, sin doesn't send you to hell. Okay? Now, I've got to say that because it's important. Sin doesn't send you to hell. There's only one thing that sends a man to hell. The only thing that sends a person to hell is that you don't accept the finished work of Christ. If you don't accept Christ as your Savior, you will spend eternity without him. That is what the Bible says. Even though he came and he gave grace and salvation to all men, you still have to accept it. It's like me buying you a car. If I buy you a car, it's your car. But you never get the benefits of it if you don't come and get the keys. If you don't come drive it. If you don't come take possession of it. Even though it's yours, you never get the benefit of it. And so you have to understand that there is only one sin that sends a man to hell. Likewise, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren, not the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit doesn't come to convict you of your sin. I hate when people say that. The Holy Spirit doesn't convict you. Listen, if you're doing something wrong and you know it's wrong, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's your intellect. You know it's wrong. The Holy Spirit's job is to be a teacher. That means he exposes you to things you don't know. But he ain't running around talking about, you know you ain't going to be doing that. Shame on you. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. And we make the Holy That's why people are, afraid. people are afraid of the Holy Spirit for two reasons. One, we make him to be something that come up on people and make them act out of character. I like that. We make him spooky. Like a real ghost. <laughs> Which is why I say Holy Spirit, not Holy Ghost. He is a spirit. What? The Holy Ghost. <laughs> because he's, he's a spirit, not a ghost. And when you, even when we use that term, that seems spooky. And then we get exposed to the Holy Spirit because somebody's in church and because we don't understand that people have different expressions of their joy for the Lord, then we think anytime I go, ah! Then, then they, got, they caught the Holy Ghost. Like it's a disease. It's not a disease. The Holy Spirit is a him. It is a him. It is a person of the Trinity. It is the Holy Spirit. It is a part of Christ and God. It is the paraclete, the teacher. It is not this spooky thing that comes and makes us act wild in church. Listen, I can just run because I choose. I ain't got to wait for some particular moment when the, when the keyboard hit the right note. We make church so extra. What is the Holy Spirit's job? The Holy Spirit's job is to talk to, come here, Chris, real quick. This person. My mind doesn't talk to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because my mind is being renewed. So who does the Holy Spirit talk to? This person. So then the spirit gets to talk to this part of me. And as I read more word, I get to inter interact with more parts of this. And the more I interact with the word, the more I interact with this, the more I hear the Holy Spirit about what I should know and understand and do. But understand, when, the, when, when, when you get told, when, when you hear that thing that says to you, uh, you shouldn't have said that to them. That ain't the Holy Spirit. That's your, that, that's your mind saying, you wrong. You know that you shouldn't do that. Thank you, Chris. 
See, we act like we need the Holy Spirit to come down and descend upon us like it did Jesus and say, don't be rude. You know you ain't supposed to be rude. You learned that in kindergarten. You ain't supposed to be rude. You ain't know nothing about Jesus, but you learned not to be rude. They tell people in kindergarten, keep your hands, feet, and other objects true. You don't need the Holy Spirit to tell you to keep your hands off people. You learned that before you ever was introduced to the Holy Spirit. But we want to use the Holy Spirit as this thing like a probation officer. The Holy Spirit is not a probation officer. He's not designed to come in and shake us to make us do right. He says, here's the right thing to do. Here's what the word says. Now, you got to get your mind lined up with that in order to be willing to do it. And so why is that important? Because if not, you're waiting on the Holy Spirit to tell you what you can or can't have. You're waiting on the Holy Spirit to do all of these things. The Holy Spirit's job is to lead you according to the word. Listen, we talked about 1 John. I want to read something out of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 through 12, and then we're, we're about done. Hebrews 10, 10 through 12, and verse 14. It says, by the which will we are sacrificed through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God. For by one offering, he had perfected forever them that are sanctified. He has perfected forever them that are sanctified. He has perfected. It's a hard thing for some of us to even say that we're perfect. And you know why it's a hard thing to say that we're perfect? Because we equate more of ourselves with this man than that man. And as long as you equate yourself, who you are, with this man instead of that man, you'll always struggle. I used to get so angry when I read Paul's letter. Because in Paul's letter, if you read it closely, here's what Paul said. They said, aren't you Saul who killed Christians? Aren't you the Saul who persecuted those that were in Rome and in Thessalonica, aren't you the one who did all that bad stuff? And do you know what Paul's response was? Paul said, I have wronged no man. I'm like, dude, how can you say you ain't wronged anybody? We just read all the stuff you did in those other chapters. That dude literally said, I have wronged nobody. How do you kill thousands of people and say you ain't wrong nobody? Because he said, that was Saul. I've had a new experience with Jesus. In my new experience, I don't even know that old person anymore. He's so identified <laughs> with his new identity, this dude could have passed a lie detector test. He could have been on Maury or, or anybody. And they would have read his results and said, Paul, we ask, because you know how Maury do, we ask you the question. <laughs> Paul, did you kill thousands of people? And the results of the lie detector test were, you told the truth. <laughs> Why? Because Paul so identified with the fact that he was new in Christ, he was like, that's not me anymore. He believed. He believed. 
Can you imagine how your life would be if you could wake up every day believing who you are in Christ? Believing who you are in Christ? Every day, be able to pass the test when the devil's trying to accuse you of something you like literally don't know what he's talking about. Like literally. Like I don't know what you mean. What do you, what do you mean? I, you must have the wrong person. That's not me you're talking about. That's how Christ wants us to live. He doesn't want us to just go, well, I'm going to do whatever I want to do because tomorrow I'm going to act like I don't know. You can't live above that level. Now, your, your conscience won't let you, which is why you have to get your conscience to line up with this word. Amen? Yeah. And if you understand that that was God's redemption plan from the beginning, you won't struggle with works. You won't struggle with trying to do things to get God to move on your behalf. You won't struggle with this idea of somehow I got to be good enough. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor. neighbor. Say, you will never, you will never be, good be good enough. Say, but Christ, but Christ has made you, has made you better, better than. Better than. Yeah. Man, there's so much, but we're going we're gonna to stop here. I want, I want you to, to, to see something. Ah, yeah, there it is. I do want to talk. We're in Hebrews. Go to Hebrews real quick. We were in Hebrews. Hebrews uh, 4. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. I want you to see this. Hebrews 4. When you know that your redemption, that God's redemption plan is a finished work, it causes you to be in a place of peace. It really does. You don't, you don't have to worry, struggle, or strain because something is not exactly the way you want it today. You know that if you got a word from God, it's coming. And when I say it's coming, I mean manifesting. It's already done, but it's, 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 going, to, it's going to manifest. It's going to manifest. I believe it's so hard, and I, and I know this scripture doesn't necessarily go with it, but it's a scripture that says, and I, and I thought about it this week because this week several times, the sun was out, and all of a sudden, the sky would just start raining. And I kept thinking about that scripture. It says, if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves. If God said it, <laughs> it, is it doesn't matter how the sun shines. It doesn't matter what the temperature is. If those clouds get full of rain, they every time, not one time have they not, they empty themselves. If the clouds can be faithful, I know my God can. I know my God can. If the man who made the cloud, the clouds can be faithful, then my God can be faithful. So if God said it, my clouds are full. And if they be full, they will empty themselves. What's my job? What's my job in there? Hebrews 4, 1 through 3. Hebrews 4, 1 through 3. It says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into Christ's rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. He said, for unto us was the gospel preached. What's the gospel? The nearly too good to be true news. He says, for unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached didn't profit them, because it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. It wasn't, they got the word, but they didn't mix it with any faith. 
They got the grace, but they didn't mix it with any faith. Verse 3 says, For we which have believed, when we believe, watch what he says, we do enter into, enter into what? When you believe, believing takes you to a place of rest. That is the key I think we miss sometimes in this scripture. How do you know you're believing? Are you stressing? If you stress, if, if you stressing, if you struggling, oh. I got an example. Have you told everybody yet? Oh, okay. I do. Okay. So, so I want to use. I, I want. I, I had to ask. Her. I want to use Ken as an example. I want to show you something. So, I thought that Tina should be an administrator since I met her. And then she got a job as an instructional coach at another school or something. I was just kept thinking, man, she needs to be a principal. She needs to be the boss. She needs to be the person who's, who's doing that. And we were talking, and sure enough, she said, you know what? She said, I'm applying for an assistant principal job. I was like, bet. You got it. She's like, yep, it's mine. We didn't talk. She came back. She said, hey, I had my first interview. She said, got an interview with the superintendent. I said, oh, you're going to knock the interview out. Here's what she said. She said, it's not even an interview. It's just a conversation. That is a, I told her, I, I went home, I said, she going to get the job because she don't even see it as an interview. She said, it's not even an She had went beyond this idea that I'm about to have an interview for an assistant principal's job. It was, I'm just going in to have a conversation. She basically said, this is mine. She's going to be assistant principal next year. Listen. It can happen in any area for you. When you decide that the thing for you is for you and you believe it, your conversation is even different. When she, literally, it was like, I don't know if it was a week or two ago, when she said it, it literally put chills on my arm because she said, because I was like, oh, you're going to knock that interview out. She said, it's not even an interview. She just stopped me cold. It's not even an interview. She said, it's a conversation. When you go beyond, I'm interviewing with everybody else, so I'm about to chat with the soup, this yours. That's entering into rest. And it says that when you hear word and you mix it with your faith, there's rest. There's rest. When the Lord tells you that he's going to take that impossible situation and turn it around and fix it and make it better than it's ever been before, and you believe it, you enter into rest. I used to didn't understand when they used to talk about, when I first got into the word of faith, they used to talk about sweatless victories. That's what they mean. It's victories that you ain't grinding for. People like to talk about it. I'm out here grinding. I don't want to be grinding. Mm-mm. I don't want to be grinding. That even sounds hard. <laughs> grinding sounds difficult. Now, I get what they mean. They mean out there doing my thing. But the fact of the matter is there are some things that when God tells you it'll be yours, you believe them, they just come to you. And we can't discount the supernatural with trying to be so intellectual. There are something God just wants to give you. And I'm like you, and I, and I receive them. And I receive them. <laughs> he says, for we which have believed do enter into rest. Oh, I didn't finish my story. I told Tina, I said, you got two, two years, three years max. And then that sister principal spot got to go. You got to have your own building. You got to have your own building. 
I'm a, I'm a firm believer in one, but I give you two. I think after next year, you can, it's a building somewhere. You, you, it's yours. Yeah. Why? Because cause, like, cause you can do it. Listen, there's nothing better than having somebody with intellect and God. The Bible says when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. There's some kids and teachers who need to be rejoicing to see their principle. It says, for we which have believed do enter into rest. And he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. He said, you can enter into the rest of God because the works the thing you're doing, the thing you're believing for, has already been done before the foundation of the world. So if you understand God's redemption plan, it, it makes things a whole lot simpler. It makes things a whole lot easier. It is all I have to do is believe. I don't have to let sin grip me in fear. I don't have to be a slave to sin. I don't have to be in bondage to sin. I don't have to feel bad about it because I messed up. I don't have to let it condemn me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, there, it, therefore, there, there, ne, therefore now there is no condemnation in them that are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. No condemnation. What could you do without condemnation? Not just, not just sin, but sometimes you want to start a business and the devil tell you why you can't do it. That's condemnation. You want to go and pursue a particular thing, a particular endeavor, and the devil tell you you can't do it. You ain't smart enough, you ain't got the right connections, you ain't got enough money, you ain't got this, you ain't got that. All that's condemnation. But the Bible says, therefore, now there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Because if you got Christ, there is nothing you can't do. Amen? Come on, give the Lord some praise.